You can do it for five years, was the old saying. If you can survive in five years, you're going to be able to sort of walk into a courtroom. Watch a trial. Watch what other lawyers do. Watch what the judge says. Watch how people handle themselves. I think the hardest thing to adjust to is the pressure. I mean, there's pressure when you're representing someone. The jury notes has gone up all across the province for jury trials this fall, okay? One of my neighbors said to me the other day, I got a jury notice. She didn't say, I got a jury notice, am I gonna die? And you get to be seen, and other people see you when you get to know the players in the system, just by showing up. The other thing I would say to young lawyers is this, read, read the cases, read the cases. You don't, you need to know what's going on. <clears throat> the justice system hasn't been changing all the time, but it is now. So today we have a really special guest. We have a man named Christopher Hicks. He's a partner at the Hicks Adams Law Firm. He's a very well-known and experienced lawyer, and he's also an advisor to Aliri. Uh, hi, Christopher. Good afternoon, David, Ian. Hi. So I'm really curious to know, uh, how did someone like you get started with law? Um, I was in graduate school history and I was going to start a doc. I was in a doctoral program for about a week and a half and um, there was um, an advertisement for a teaching job in Thunder Bay University. At the time I didn't know where Thunder Bay University was but I got 350 applications and I thought this doesn't seem to be much of a future here. You know? Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, Oxford or Cambridge or Harvard mm -hmm. and I can see 350 applications. I decided I should change careers and not be a professor of history. Mm -hmm. uh, what can I do here? So I thought law school might be useful. I could mm -hmm. teach, uh, practice, uh, who knows? So I thought if I'm going to spend three years in school, I'd rather, maybe I'm smart at doing law school than doing a doctor. And then when I went to law mm -hmm. school, the thing that interested me was criminal law. So mm -hmm. why? Uh why did criminal law stand out to you versus like some of the other? Oh, it was just, it was just the most interesting. It just engaging. Mm -hmm. I thought, uh, you know, there's the real issues here. Mm -hmm. you know, the charity yeah. was coming into being and it was just really exciting. So it was interesting mm -hmm. to be sort of in yeah. I think, I think your background with history and, and law is really interesting. Do you, do you find that the history part helps with the law part? Um, well, it just, I guess, intellectually, there's, it, it, there's some crossover to it because mm -hmm. it's really old, it's medieval in nature. So yeah. there's that, that aspect of it. But yeah, it's, it's, they complement each other nicely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so once you graduated law school, when did you and, and why did you choose to, to start your own law firm? Well, I... Um, when I was called to the bar, I'd articled with a group of people uh, mm -hmm. and they said, hey, you want some office space? We'll, we'll try and give you some work. And, mm -hmm. Want to do this? And I said, well, I don't have anything else to do, so I'll try and start a, a law practice. And it just, mm -hmm. I was on my own, uh, sharing resources with others. And I just, it just worked out for me. I got started. You know, I, I survived, as they say. You can do it for five years, was the old saying. If you can survive in five years, you're going to be able to survive. And I yeah, it's really interesting because I think we talked to someone else and I think they used the five-year mark as well. What was, uh, do you have any like stories of like, what was, I guess like there must have been really good times and, and some like kind of bad times as well. What was, 
what was one of the biggest kind of struggles you had but overcame in those first five years? Well, um, the economy went south in the early 80s. That was a bad thing. So money mm -hmm. was very difficult to come back. There were very few mm -hmm. clients. There was a lot of legal aid. And it was not a pleasant atmosphere. Mm -hmm. When interest rates went up to 18 or 19 percent, mm -hmm. it was a, a harrowing time as far as uh, the economy was concerned. So it was just, yeah. it, was, it was a feat. Yeah. Do you I mean, think lawyers going, well, I don't know if I can get through this and I'm just starting going, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting because I assume like there's there's probably a lot of lawyers who today are probably maybe they kind of started and everything was really good and this might be the first kind of crisis they're facing, but it's it's almost nice that you kind of faced that probably in the 1980s when you were starting because you you saw that you were able to make it through a crisis mm -hmm. and even like 2008. Mm -hmm. um, so then coming into this, you kind of have experience going through hard times as well. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is bad. But, you know, it's the old saying, you know, um, it usually revolves around legal aid. Every, once, every 10 years, legal aid catches fire and blows up, you know. There's mm -hmm. a problem. There's a problem practicing criminal law um, if you don't have legal aid. This, this is sort of a variation on that theme. But um, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's. Terrible in the sense that, you know, you look at the criminal justice system and, hey, judges are getting paid, full salary, crowns, full salary, police officers, full salary, court staff, full salary, and the defense bar is in the food line, you know? It's, mm. it's, yeah. Do you think, do you think because of that, you might get more competitive lawyers going to the defense bar because it's riskier, but it's also like the toughest survive kind of thing. There's probably more I reward think, too. Because uh, it's like, I, oh, go ahead. Because it's like higher risk. So there's probably more reward rather than going to like prosecution where it's kind of like a steady salary. You think? Well, I think this is going to weigh heavily on the criminal law. Hmm. I think a lot of young boys are just going to have to, they're just going to, Crushed. So you're going yeah. in, there's going to be a generation gap. It's going to be very difficult. You know, the larger yeah. community needs a lesson, lesson in civics 101, you know? And mm -hmm. old criminals and their equally criminal lawyers, you know? You just got to get rid of this. You have to see that this is all part of building a strong community. It's, you, know, you can't have people charged with crimes and not properly defended. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think, so for the generation gap, do you, so I guess you're, you're talking about a lot of these articling students who are having probably a hard time getting into criminal law because of uh, probably law firms not hiring as much today. Um, mm -hmm. Where do you think a lot of these lawyers will go because, because of it, or potential lawyers? Well, I guess I'll have to find other areas to, to, to practice in. Um, you know, it's very it's very difficult to do criminal law if you have an article. You know? mm -hmm. it's, it's just it's not impossible, but it's difficult. So yeah. Where else are you going to go? There's the other. You know, I, I remember um, a few years ago talking to a woman who, who was practicing with our firm, and she kept in touch with her classmates. 
you know, and uh, we get together every once in a while. And I said, well, how's everybody doing? And she said, well, the ones that went to the crown are uh, sort of okay. The ones that went to Bay Street are suicidal. And the ones who went to practice criminal law are, are doing just great. They're fine. So, you know, that's, I don't know what's going to happen with that division now. They, you know, mm -hmm. we'll see. I just think it's going to be very difficult for young lawyers. And not too long ago, David, I was in London for a matter, and a lawyer, and, and there's a, a, a judge's chamber right in front of us with all glass, or uh, lawyers, lawyers, all glass. And he said to me, you know, I'm 56 years old. He said, if I walk into that room with those other six lawyers, I'll be the youngest guy in the room. And he said, behind me, you're going to go down 30 years, 20 years before there's another way. That's the problem. Mm, yeah, it's, that's very interesting. Um, do you think, other than like, probably it being more difficult for new lawyers, I mean, there's a whole bunch of effects COVID's happening on the justice system. Do you see anything else uh, that we haven't really talked about uh, kind of really having a detrimental effect on, on the justice system right now because of COVID? Well, there's going to be a tremendous backlog. And I'm not mm -hmm. sure anybody within the criminal justice system has the administrative abilities to straighten this out. They get all these cases that have been jammed up. Just never mind the people in custody. Just all of the cases for which nothing has happened for at least three months. and just been put over and remanded until there's this huge number of cases that have to be back in the system. I don't know who has that kind of administrative expertise. And so things can go wrong with that many players back on the field, it's difficult to be optimistic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can see how it's a, that's going to be a big issue. And I wonder what kind of things will be put forward to kind of try to help with that. Um, I think, Ian, you had a couple of questions further on that topic. Your question on that, um, uh, I mean, no, going back, we had the... Uh, uh, case law on unreasonable delay, um, and and one of the issues uh, uh, be whether whether what's called a discrete event. And we had, I mean, I've, I've had a case in my area where a judge became ill, and it was viewed as a discrete event. But sort of, um, there's an issue there. At what point a discrete event no longer is a discrete event because the system is not responding quickly enough. And I wonder, like. In terms of uh, you do a lot of jury trials and there were jury trials suspended, at what point do you think the courts might say, well, it, it's no longer a discrete event? You've had the time to convert the system and, and change the system. Uh, and you're, you're taking too long. Yeah. I, you know, Ian, the COVID-19 is so unique. I mean, I mean, we've had epidemiologists say we've had... Um, at least one virus outbreak every decade this century so far. So, but this is the worst one. I mean, this is a terrible event. It really is. I mean, look at the fatalities. It's just awful. Look at the disruption to our larger community. So, I mean, how, when we're going to say, be able to say, okay, this is discrete and this is not, when there's no precedent for this kind of uh, impact of a disease, I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't know how to answer the question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
it's going to have to be sorted out, but what the result is going to be, I don't know. But COVID-19 is going to dominate the discussion, obviously. Uh, now, um, I mean, there was a suspension of, of jury trials for a while, but you're seeing that starting to open up and starting to set jury trials now? Yes. Um, I'll have a jury trial scheduled to start on the 21st day of September. Um, I had the regional senior judge in the last uh, judicial pretrial that I did on this matter. And she and we are determined to go ahead. Um, we may have to pick the jury in a hockey arena to keep enough social distancing between the potential jurors, but the system seems to be determined to get back into here and get moving. And I have a client who needs this trial. It's a murder trial. He's been in jail for too long already, and we have to get this going. But I'm encouraged that everybody is going to do their very best. Judge, Crown, Defense, everybody else will do their very best to get this trial going. Uh, Retrials seem to be starting up again this fall. Um, are you worried that um, um, if COVID becomes a greater problem in the fall, that you get a greater risk of a mistrial of jurors or witnesses become ill? Exactly. Oh, yeah, sure. I don't. I I don't know what's going to happen just to begin the end. Like the jury notes has gone up all across the province for jury trials this fall, okay? One of my neighbors said to me the other day, I got a jury notice. She didn't say, I got a jury notice, am I gonna die? She seemed calm enough about it, but are people gonna come in? Are they gonna be worried about it? Are witnesses gonna show up? Are they gonna be worried about showing up? Are they gonna, about what assurances can we give them about their health if they do show up? Are we gonna want jurors to sit 12 of them in a small room? I think that's out of the question while they're waiting. Gonna, other arrangements are going to have to be made. Similarly for like a, a deliberation room, you're going to have to find a bigger room. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You, where they can spread out and wear masks if necessary. Um, one thing I was going to ask you is what, what you think about um, um, both in jury selection and in the, in the, in the trial itself, jurors wearing masks, because traditionally the lawyer and the accused get to see the face of the juror as they're, as they're being selected. and then. During the trial, you kind of keep eye contact, look for expressions on jurors. How, how does that sort of affect, do you anticipate that they might be wearing masks and that might affect the uh, way that it proceeds? Well, if they have to wear masks, they have to wear masks. You prefer that they didn't, but if that's our sense of safety, then it's better that they, they, they be secure that way. I mean, a witness should not be masked. Everybody wants to see it. Uh, witnesses expression and demeanor and everything else and gestures and so on so uh, they could be behind plexiglass but they're going to have to not be masked but everybody else being masked may be the, the rule of the day and we'll just have to adjust to that uh, david you had a question i think about jury composition and i think and how um, the, uh, yeah well i guess i have two just following up on on this what would happen if like someone got sick on the jury like uh or even like like a witness got sick would would the court be liable for that because they're being kind of forced to to be part of this this thing i um, i don't know if the court would be liable um or, or the ministry of the attorney general would be liable mm -hmm. i suppose it's possible but i mean again we always have problems saying where exactly did this person contact this, this ailment, you know, this terrible disease. It may not, they may have brought it with them, or they tested, so on and so forth. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't know. But I mean, a key witness gets sick. I mean, it's going to derail the trial. If a juror goes down, you, you can continue a jury trial with 10 people, but not less than 10. So mm-hmm. one juror gets sick, then perhaps you, you'll be able to continue as long as the other jurors haven't been contaminated by by being mm-hmm. a close proximity to that person. And then this is something we'll just have to figure out. I hope we don't have to, but it's almost inevitable, I suppose. Yeah, and I can see how there would, especially in like older people, there'd be a almost like a, there's a risk of them dying. So do you think uh, older people might be exempt from from being on the, the jury board because of that? We might exceed an exemption, yeah. Especially if they have a, a, a morbidity of some kind, a pre-existing mm-hmm. condition. They might say, listen, you know, I've had cancer, so, you know, I'm scared to death of this, you know? I don't know how safe it's better now, but it's, am I safe enough? I think that might be, might be excused on that basis. Do you, do you think, so if like, if you have like maybe like low income people too being exempt uh, or because like, and for that reason would be um, because they might not have access to computers or something in case there's like a virtual trial or older people being exempt do you think the demographic like of these certain groups being exempt will affect the outcome of trials? It depends on what uh, exempt. Jury pools do not generally include right now. They should, but they don't generally include uh, less affluent members of society because of mm-hmm. the way juries are selected, which is wrong. Mm-hmm. And they kind of broaden and deepen the jury pool to include people who don't own property or register as voters and so on. Mm-hmm. That's why we have we have these problems that we're having, especially out west, uh, where indigenous people are not brought on jury frequently enough. They're just ignored. So I think that recent developments are such that we're going to have to broaden and deepen the jury pool, and that will change the composition of juries. Now, what that means for uh, COVID nineteen, we we can't say at this time, but it's uh, they say it, it strikes people with lower income more more desperately than it does for people with, uh, say, in the middle income ranges. Uh, uh, David had sort of uh, started commenting about a virtual trial. Uh, to, to this point, there's been no uh, suggestion that a jury trial proceed by uh, Zoom or, or online. No, no, Ian. I've, I've done a number of things by Zoom. I love Zoom. It's been uh, very useful. It's much better than JVN, the judicial video network that was used, being used before. It's becoming increasingly popular, and uh, judges are, are, and courts are more comfortable with it now, so it's a great idea. It's uh, particularly suited to judicial pretrials and even motions. You can argue motions. I've argued a number of motions on Zoom. Uh, bail, argued bails on, on Zoom, both uh, in regular court and uh, for a bail appeal or bail review. For, uh, it's an appeal process. That's all working out very well. That's fine. But a jury? No, I don't see how you can do a jury trial uh, by Zoom. That's, that'd be very difficult. You think that um, the, the, the risk of a Zoom link breaking down or a juror stepping out and doing something unsupervised would, would create too great a risk of a mistrial? Yeah, I mean, we don't know what's going on in everybody's room, you know, when they're doing on Zoom. You know, you could have dancing girls behind you or, you know, 
playing dice or doing anything, and so could I, and no one would know. They're worried about witnesses being coached by someone in the room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because you can't tell, you know? So uh, that would make real problems for a trial and bringing witnesses in on Zoom. And uh, the jury's appreciation would be, be different as well. And it, it, takes away, it takes away from the solemnity of the occasion as well. Mm-hmm. One of the things about a jury trial is it's, it's an important thing. Someone's on trial for murder. You you want everybody there, everybody in the game, everybody intimately involved. You know, all all, all the judges and lawyers, but the jury has to be there as well and appreciate how serious these issues are and what's at stake here. And that's just not going to translate on Zoom. Uh, now, in the United States, they have a, a reference in their constitution called the Confrontation Clause. Uh, do you think that the Charter rights, even though it might not be as specific that something in say uh, section 7 or section 11 might be interpreted in a similar way to say you've got the right to confront a witness no no that's not going to happen in canada um i think it's it's been pretty much definitively decided by the supreme court of canada in a case called cook mm-hmm. where that that issue arose that the, the complainant wasn't called uh, as a witness and the argument was, no, we have the right of confrontation. The Supreme Court of Canada said, no, there's no right of confrontation in Canada. I mean, they said, you know, if the Crown doesn't call a complainant, they might lose the case. I mean, if they don't call the right witnesses, um, they're going to lose the case. So it's not so much a confrontation. Is, is the Crown going to um, ta- err tactically and, and simply not be able to gain a conviction because they haven't called the right people? So it's not so much this uh, idea of uh, confronting your accuser. So the issue would be uh, uh, not so much the right to a trial in person, it would be the risk that the thing will break down in a mistrial if something goes wrong. Yeah, sure. But, but, you know, can Crown prove the case, uh, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt without a key witness? Sometimes no. uh, what about in, uh, in uh, any type of trial, a uh, uh, judge alone trial or a jury trial? Um, it's set up in, in this atmosphere about the, pre- the, the um, uh, contribution of the public and participation. Um, how do you see that in terms of, for example, a jury trial, the public being able to be present or watch somehow, given the kind of limitations with COVID-19? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if you're talking about a judge alone trial, Ian, I mean, I know one's gone on in Toronto where everybody, the, the defense waived the jury. They had a right to a jury. They, they waived the jury. They went judge alone. And uh, there were two accused people, and the, the trial proceeded on that basis. Uh, and, you know, that, that judge alone trial, yes, I think you can do this. You could do a judge alone trial by Zoom if you chose to do so. You'd have to give up a jury, and you'd have to give up a number of other things, but um, you could do it. Um, do you think they should be making, uh, if they're limiting the, the number of people that sort of attend to watch, say, a trial of interest, like a murder trial, do you think they should be doing something else, like providing a, a separate larger room for the public or, a, um, or something online? There was a case in Toronto, I think, that went on, on YouTube, I think, in part, the decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, you know, well, the criminal justice system is built around that concept. That it's a public system and people can come and go as they wish. If there's a courtroom with something going on, you can just walk in. 
In these days, you may want to make sure that people have video access. The trial in Oshawa, the Braithwaite trial, I mean, there was all kinds of, uh, all kinds of people, what, 20,000 people turned, tuned in for that? And that was all, uh, you know, by, by video. So that, that's great. People show interest. And that's what's nice about Zoom, too. All kinds of people can, can watch, can tune in, can hack in, as they said. You know? So that's great, yeah. you know. And that's, that's essential to the system, too. Public yeah, practice. With observation, you know? that's really interesting. And so, so I haven't been in very many courtrooms. I know you guys have, um, but uh, are you? You're not allowed normally filming, right, in a courtroom. Like you can go there in person, but you can't film unless you get the judge's approval. Yes. Um, yeah. So, do you think this opens up a whole kind of new playground of third-party people? taking these videos in the trial and kind of nitpicking on like body language and and little things and then you might get like a whole new kind of court system on the outside of people trying to figure out what's going on uh well i think i i, I think it's important that, that people still uh observe criminal jury mm -hmm. trial, criminal trials in general if they want to see them because they could mm -hmm. in, in the days of yore you could walk in any courtroom you wanted you know with mm -hmm. rare, rare exceptions, but yeah, I think if that's if that's uh, only the price we have to pay is have people being critical of it, then that's fine. Yeah, and also for um, I guess one question I have is right or before COVID, why why was it so difficult to videotape or have like an audio recording inside the courtroom? Uh the criminal justice system is just was at that time and maybe even still will continue to be against that kind of record uh, of trials. Um, I'm not sure what the rationale is for it, uh, but they don't want anybody with cameras filming what's going on. The whole, the whole Come in and observe it, but you can't make a record. Do you, do you think it's something to do with privacy? Because say, say you're, yeah, you're defending someone and they're innocent, but then now there's videotapes of them being on trial and it might be harder for them to get a job or something in the future. It's entirely possible. Plus the jurors, I mean, you know, you rarely mm -hmm. know a name. You know a juror's number. Jurors are selected by numbers or they do uh, after the case, they're one, two, three, four. So there are privacy issues. That's that's true. Mm -hmm. and that's a good point as well. That's, you know, there are serious issues here and people can, you don't want people misinterpreting or missing, you know, what's going on. And also uh, finding out who the players are particularly, specifically, so mm -hmm. making it vulnerable potentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I can see how that's, that might be something interesting that comes up in the future. Yeah, so I think we already kind of talked about trials getting pushed back. Um, if, because these, these people could possibly be innocent and in prison and like every day that goes by is like a day that they're never gonna get back. Um, if their trial gets pushed back to a certain degree, do you think, do you think there'll be more lenient sentencing to, to kind of cut more deals and have to try to clear it up? There will be submissions made if someone is convicted of a crime and they've been in jail for this through this entire period, and at risk too for the for COVID nineteen because it's it's much more dangerous to be in a jail than to be 
at liberty. But yeah, I think that mm -hmm. there were some allowances made for uh, the conditions that they endured uh, through the COVID. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think that would be a factor on sentence. Do you find a lot more people going on like house arrest opposed to being in jail to kind of separate them from prisons where maybe COVID might be a more dangerous kind of yeah. thing? We Canadians keep an awful lot of people in jail without having been convicted of anything, uh, at least not the charges they're facing, which is, this is in that way, if there's anything good, it's been compelling reason to release people, sometimes from the station or in, in court, so to speak, it's all telecom, mm -hmm. of course, nobody goes to court anymore, but I think there's been a greater tendency to release people than to detain them. And that's refreshing because mm -hmm. we are really, um, to our detriment, I think, are, uh, it's, high, it's shameful how many people we keep in jail before they mm -hmm. the crime. The idea of a sort of house arrest, they have electronic monitoring, but a lot of clients can't afford uh, the kind of programs that cost hundreds of dollars a month. But it's interesting that during COVID, the, the ministry uh, offered free electronic monitoring, which um, uh, I had one client get released on, and he's still out on it, so it seems to be working, but uh, I've heard of another case where somebody cut the bracelet off and they went back into jail. But, it's, but if they follow it, it's a, it's a good program and, and it would be nice if that would continue after COVID for the people who can't really afford. Uh, well, it's, it's, Ian, I mean, uh, bracelets, $600 plus a month. Yeah. You can do I, that. I mean, I've had a few people like, that got out on that program. There's a recovery science and gem tech yeah. that come all over the province, even out here. and. Uh, but you have to have quite a bit of money to. Uh, but it's to the credit of the Ministry of the Attorney General that they, they got all these bracelets and made them available for in the proper case, you know, for people yeah. whose uh, release uh, hinges on some kind of security while they're in the community. So it, it's good that way. I've, I've, I'm fine with bracelets. I think they're, they're terrific, you know, anklets, whatever we call them. Um, I have a problem with house arrest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. House arrest is a punishment. You know, that's Supreme Court of Canada proof. It's something that happens after you've been convicted and uh, this is part of your sentence is that uh, it's, uh, to my mind, it should not be a bail condition because it's very, so onerous and it, it just invites breaches and, and it's wrong. And what good does it do to keep somebody locked up in their, in their, in their house or someone else's house or home? Mm -hmm. What, what good does that do? I mean, oh, protects the community. Oh, come on, shut up. Mm -hmm. You know? can release people you know not everybody who's accused of a crime is going to go out and commit another crime as soon as they're released i mean that's obviously clear that's clear so a house arrest i really object to i think it's uh, i think it's uh, it's absolutely wrong it's a sentencing provision it has its place but it's not a release provision it should not be have anything to do with bails mm -hmm. that's my view and i'm sticking to it it'd be like yeah. serving sentence before the uh, the case <laughs> oh yeah serve your sentence now you know yeah, I can see how that could um, hurt maybe their bridge back into society because if you isolate this person, maybe the only people they might talk to are people who come visit them and the people who might visit them might not be the best people mm -hmm. and they won't get completely integrated back. Um, but yeah, um, one thing, a little bit of a different topic. I want to ask you about um, something about new lawyers. like. When new lawyers are preparing for trial, I can see how it's very daunting because they're expected to, to come off as a very experienced person because they're, they're getting paid for their knowledge. 
but at the same time, maybe they don't have a lot of experience behind them and they might be a little bit nervous. Um, what are, what are some things that they could do to kind of become better at preparing for trial? And also what are some of the things you think are the hardest for them to, to grasp? Um, <clears throat> I think the hardest thing to adjust to is the pressure. I mean, there's pressure when you're representing mm -hmm. someone. There's pressure when, you know, a, a trial lawyer has to make scores mm -hmm. of you know, every day, or at least during a trial. You know, and it, mm -hmm. I think the pressure of saying, is this right, is this wrong, what are, why am I doing this, why am I not doing this, that's, that's I think, a problem. Um, you can alleviate part of that if you had good articles and you saw trials happen. But if you mm -hmm. have your young lawyer, um, walk into a courtroom. Watch a trial. Watch what other lawyers do. Watch what the judge says. Watch how people handle themselves. Go and just observe. I think you know you can go to school that way. I mean, I remember when I was in law school, like I couldn't figure out what was going on, who people, where people were, where they sat, where they sat. You know what happened? Like I went down to a courtroom, and just watched for a couple of days. And I thought, oh, I got it now. This is cool. I got it. So it was, uh, you know, I think that's, that's interesting. That's the thing that I would do if I were starting out as a lawyer and I didn't have mm -hmm. great articles, or even if I did, I would still go and watch, mm -hmm. go and watch a provincial court, uh, trial and lower court, go watch a jury trial, see what happens, see what people say, see how the day handle the jury. That's, that's the thing that uh, I think a lot of people are intimidated you know, when they're young lawyers by jury trials because they've never seen one and they've never been in one. Mm -hmm. So go and watch one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's really good advice. Because if you've never seen one, then, then how, how can you expect yourself to do well sure. kind of walking in for the first time, not knowing really what's going on? Um, where do you see, um, kind of another topic again, uh, where do you see the future of, uh, of law going? And, that, and that, that's in terms of like um, technology, but also kind of just like the justice system in a whole, how it's kind of changing all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> the justice system hasn't been changing all the time, but it is now. And I think mm -hmm. that's all for the better. I think now that, you know, things like bail hearings, we can do remotely. There's no reason not to do a bail hearing. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've done them uh, on murder charges. Everybody did it by Zoom. Everybody was on the screen. Everybody could see everybody. The client, the sureties, the judge, the crown. We could all, we all knew what was going on. That's fine. That's, that's perfectly great, you know? Some aspects of, in, as I said, you know, other aspects of the criminal justice system will do very well remotely. It's unnecessary for people to travel, how, God knows how long, how far, just to show up in court and to be frustrated by what's going on or not going on. We can do this all remotely and people can be called when it's time to go. But not trials, unless, well, in some, some cases, judge alone, obviously. But um, there are some things that just should be done remotely and can be done remotely. It makes the system much more efficient and just as, just as, uh, just as uh, viable. Just, it's fine. No, you don't have to be there in person. Yeah, and that's really interesting. Yeah. You can say, and that's, uh, you can go say ahead. sorry. No, you can say people to travel, they can do it from their home. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you trust that they're they're fine and they're okay and uh, nobody's coaching them and then that's 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 great you know that's we can do it many things do you, 
do you think that justice system do you think that uh opens up more competition in remote areas uh where like maybe like say like a toronto lawyer who normally wouldn't practice in somewhere in like northern ontario um would that remote access allow them to kind of get cases in faraway places and still be able to do them without having to necessarily go there well you could only do do so much for it Ian. i mean uh, and you know uh, you'd have to have the client retain you probably privately because legal aid probably wouldn't tolerate uh depending on the nature of the charge if it's a murder charge it's a really big charge depending on the community mm -hmm. uh, number of lawyers there there's all kinds of things that legal aid takes into account before mm -hmm. they retain someone up out of that jurisdiction but privately yeah you can do it but yeah. if someone offers a toronto lawyer enough money to go up to north bay why, why would he or she not go mm -hmm. yeah um yeah i can see how that might change a little bit of the landscape not no i guess what you're saying is right with uh, the legal aid but more on the private side having lawyers be able to uh to go wherever do you think um with all these new uh like students who were just articling and who have now come off and are probably having a hard time kind of getting work and starting up um i know we talked about them kind of possibly going into like different types of practices do you see that kind of lowering the rate like the hourly rate because do you see them kind of lowering their prices to try to be more attractive uh, clients you may you may well do i don't know i think it would be very very difficult to start now mm -hmm. and, as a young lawyer in, in criminal practice on your own, I think it would be very, very difficult. I, I, yeah. mean, I my own, uh, and it was difficult economic times, but not like this. You know, this, is, mm -hmm. uh, this is pretty grim. Well, we're, I guess, because it's really interesting because you, you started off in kind of like a hard time. Uh, so I can almost see as you as being able to like, be able to relate to these uh, young lawyers today, even though it's like a little bit different what were some things that that you did when you first started off that kind of helped you get through uh, those hard times? Uh, well, I think one thing I did that um, helped me a lot was I went to court. I mean, if I had a client and he's up in court, just even to set a date or just to remand or something like that, I didn't send a letter. I went there. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, I'm Christopher Hicks and I'm representing uh, David Paul and my client and this is what we want and you get to be seen and other people see you when you get to know the players in the system just by showing up mm -hmm. and from time to time you'd step out of the courtroom having represented David Paul and someone would come up to you and say hey you're a lawyer can you help me out you get a client so being seen and being there helps a lot don't be lazy don't send a letter go to court so be uncomfortable kind of like don't be don't hide in your comfort zone and behind the computer kind of like go out in person and show your face even if it's you're nervous and stuff just yeah. just do it that's that's really good advice yeah. you get to know you go in the courtroom who's that on the bench and find out who it is they find out who you are it's useful yeah if we go back to that system you know like the good old days or the old days whether they're good or not or better we'll see but uh, that's that's uh, something that uh, I would advise a young lawyer to do go to court. Uh, so I, I think I've gone through all kind of the topics I want to touch on. 
do you uh do you have anything else ian uh, i think those are all my questions okay awesome so thanks so much uh christopher for for joining us and it was really it was a pleasure to have you and yeah, i think there's a lot of thanks and there's a there's a lot of uh really good information i think in here that uh that will help young lawyers especially uh who are just starting off and who might be kind of confused on what to do um and uh, i'd love to have you back again in the future and uh yeah thank you that'd be great the other thing i would say to young lawyers is this read read the cases read the mm -hmm. cases. you don't you need to know what's going on the ontario court of appeal all courts of appeal are online go and read cases mm -hmm. that's what you have to do you have to get current you have to keep up you mm -hmm. have to see what appellate tribunals are saying and you know so the, the more law you know the better off you're going to be and what are um this game oh. it's fun i like reading cases mm -hmm. i don't always agree with what happens in them but i like reading them and it's fun this is what you do you're a lawyer you're a criminal lawyer read what are some uh what are some good places for them to find these cases i assume can is probably one of them but uh are there magazines or anything that would have kind of well, uh, good information there's a superior court of justice feed in, in ontario that you can get and see mm -hmm. top on my screen all the time cases just decided take a look at them there might be something you can use the ontario court of appeal is online they have a terrible search engine it's mm -hmm. worthless, and that's why you need can lee and other uh, uh, westlaw and so on uh, but i mean you can read the cases as they come out make a note of them say oh yeah that's a good case on theft or whatever it doesn't matter just, just keep reading keep reading you know can awesome. yeah. law that's research but this is keeping mm -hmm. current, that's important you got yeah you know, just read it as it mm -hmm. comes up makes your life easier and it's interesting mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah that sounds like that's a really good piece of advice and um yeah i can see how it could really help um especially lawyers who probably might not have as much experience reading other cases would almost kind of give them the experience of knowing those decisions and how those cases uh kind of played out but yeah that's a that's a great piece of advice it's a steep learning curve when you're a young lawyer so you got to keep reading mm -hmm. awesome so yeah it was it was a pleasure to have you uh christopher and uh yeah i look forward to seeing you again I'll have to do it again sometime david ian okay. great talking to you thanks Talk to you again. Thanks. Say bye now. Bye. If you like this episode, you should definitely check out the Kevin Westall episode and the Ian Paul episode. Uh, I'm going to link them right here and here.